Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hi there, Jess. How are you doing? Hi, I'm hanging in there. How about you? Yeah, yeah. uh, Same. I think what we're going to talk about today is really going to help everybody out there who's listening and thinking, yeah, I'm kind of just hanging in there too. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think we all are at this point in society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I saw like a meme or something that was like the whole point of living in a society is to make life collectively better what Mm. we have right now is like not a society what the fuck are we doing (laughs) right yeah Yeah. it's just like everything is on fire all the time and it just keeps like the flames just keep on coming like as soon as you think that it's gonna stop like another huge event happens like I think we've already had enough with the pandemic in 2020 and then, you know, all of the Black Lives Matter movements that happened. And then now we have all the Palestine and Congo, Sudan, all of these things going on. And it's just a lot to handle. The events in Palestine sort of like was the final band-aid ripping off of all of the like dissociation that I have learned. And I know a lot of other white people in particular have learned through like growing up in a white supremacist society. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is I have been learning so, so much, especially in the last year. I've been doing a lot of like very active anti-racist work. And one of the things that I've learned that has like struck me deeply to my core is that racism hurts us all. Like I read this book, it's called The Sum of Us by Heather McGee, which is available for free as an audiobook on Spotify. If anyone's interested, I cannot recommend Heck this book yeah. enough. Um, But in it, one of the things she talks about is how racism hurts us all. And not only are Black people and other marginalized people affected by the generational trauma of, you know, just being part of these marginalized populations for generations and generations. But one thing that we don't really talk about is the effect that it has on white people being a part of, you know, the section of society that has been historically the violent oppressors. And Mm -hmm. we also have a ton of intergenerational trauma that we also need to unpack, having been, you know, a lot of our ancestors were either slavers or were, you know, all these other terrible things. And so through all of like our generational trauma, we have to deal with a lot of rehumanizing of not only ourselves, but other people. And there is, a ton of work that goes into rehumanizing as a white person. Like I had so much still to unpack and I'm someone who's been involved in like the social justice world for a really long time. I consider myself, you know, I've always considered myself sort of an activist. I've always been involved, but recently since October, it's really, really shown me just how deep that like just disconnect humanity has gone and like so many things have changed for me since I made it a point to like really sit down and actually like witness 
this violence that's happening actually like feel what's going on instead of you know what was super easy to do before which is just like you hear about these things and you think about it for like a day or two but usually just passes along like i don't think uh social justice movement has had quite so much longevity in a very long time and what am i trying to say here I think that there's a really common phrase that goes around on social media that's like, um, we're not just freeing Palestine, Palestine is also freeing us. And I feel like ha uh, making it a point to like really, really witness the violence and like actually sit in it, like as a white person, I know that's like our main responsibility is just to witness and like see what's going on. I did not realize how much I was still dissociated from like the violence like I I logically understood it but I didn't emotionally understand it which is a problem that not really a problem but like a, a phenomenon that a ton of ADHDers will experience mm -hmm. so when I say like things are different for me this is like might sound like kind of a silly example but it's from a video game but just like as an example of how much I'm learning about my own like disconnect and white supremacist conditioning because I play this game called um, Horizon Forbidden West, which is like an open world game. And it's super fun. You play a character named Aloy, who is basically, um, it's set like a thousand years in the future. Anyway, there's this one scene where like there's basically a massacre of one of the certain groups of people. And um, spoiler alert, one of the, there's these like priest type people who are like very reminiscent of like modern day like super christian leaders and stuff like that and there's a scene where he gets very like embarrassingly murdered and when i would play that game before i used to laugh at that part because it's like oh haha he's finally getting what he deserves but i played that game again for the first time in a year and a half i restarted it and during that scene what i was looking at before as just like merely entertainment when I went through that scene again, like a few weeks ago, I almost started crying because I was like, oh my gosh, like all these people are just getting killed. And like, yes, it's a video game, but like, I was just thinking of all of the, like the ramifications and just like the breadth of what it means for like a, a person to die. Does that make sense? And mm -hmm. like, it was just really interesting to me how much that scene affected me when before I was able to just like kind of blow past it. Mm -hmm. So 100% Palestine is is freeing us and is 100% allowing, like at least for me personally, it's helped me, like it's really snapped me out of dissociation. Like I'm able to feel a lot more feelings in general since I allowed myself to feel like actually get, take not taken over, but like really let, that grief fill me up. It's almost like, I don't know, I can't really think of a metaphor, but it's just so interesting how many more emotions I'm having now, even like good ones, just because I allowed myself to like really see what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I totally relate to what you're saying about how um, as white people, we have a lot of witnessing to do and we have a lot of our own generational trauma and 
patterns, I suppose, that have been passed on, patterns of oppression, patterns of violence, patterns of thinking about others in ways that are not very humanistic. And like, I think I saw a TikTok forever ago, but it was somebody saying like, okay, okay, so black folks have generational trauma from being slaves for years and years and years, but white folks don't have generational trauma from being slavers for years and years and years. Are you kidding me? Like what? Right. (laughs) And that blew my mind. Like, yeah, of course we're going to have stuff that's baked in, just baked in from years and years of that. And I think that it's hard to connect with something when, like, internationally, when you have your own personal trauma around it. And white people were very, very used to centering our own trauma, centering our own comfort, especially comfort. That's something mm-hmm. Devin Price has been talking about a lot on Instagram right now about how white people really, really will prioritize their comfort over just about anything else. And yeah. especially white women. And yeah. I am so guilty of this. So guilty of this. Like I would rather, and this is like truly embarrassing, but like, I would rather, you know, let my husband continue buying mcdonald's then have the difficult conversation with him that like i would like to boycott them because of my trauma with bringing up what i want and feeling judged all the time as a child right and i'm prioritizing not facing my own trauma and oh i'll just stay comfortable i'll just stay dissociated from it over like doing what i believe is right and like oh yuck right it is. It's such a it's such a hard topic to talk about, but it's so good to talk about. And I'm just trying to make sure that I get like my words right. Sure. It's so easy to like look back on, especially like as a white woman, all of like the the situations you start realizing like you're putting your own comfort over like literal human lives. And when you sprinkle trauma into that, it just makes it so much harder to overcome like this work is so difficult when you really start getting into like active anti-racist work it is the hardest trauma work that we are going to do because it's so much more than even like our childhood trauma growing up because that can at least be confined to like our lifetime but when we're talking about trauma from racism trauma from white supremacy we're talking about generations we're talking about hundreds of years and for white people it goes back even farther than like the transatlantic slave trade because um, there's another book called My Grandmother's Hands by, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it correctly, Resme Manakam, but the book is called My Grandmother's Hands. And there he talks about how even since like medieval times, white people have been historically violent towards each other. Like you think about medieval punishments, like being put in the, um, oh, what are they called? The like where your hands are in the thing. The stocks, yes. Like being put in the stocks and like the public beheadings. Like people would publicly get like hands cut off for stealing. And it was like an entertainment event. And for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, we've been using violence and punishment as a form of entertainment. So yes, Black people have to, you know, deal with the generational trauma from having been, you know, enslaved for so long we have to deal with generational trauma of literally coming from hundreds of years of just pure violence and like using violence as a form of entertainment which is so much to unpack um and so the the point that i was trying to make here is 
that if you're a white person who is cognizant of this, who is attempting to learn about this, who is attempting to be better and to break this cycle, it is so okay to go as slow as you need to because <laughs> it's literally so much bigger than even I can, we can fathom or like put into words. And, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to just become these super perfect activists who are like doing all the things overnight, especially as autistic people. It can be so hard to change routines and stuff like that. Well, and like, as autistic folks, I think a lot of us have that really strong, rigid thinking of like black and white thinking too, where it's like either right. I'm the perfect activist or I'm not involved at all. And we expect yeah. that shift to happen immediately and it doesn't. Right. Exactly. There's That's so much. That's something I really struggle with. Like, I'm like, oh, I, as soon as someone posts something about, oh, I'm doing this to be an activist. I'm like, well, I need to do that. Or like, it, and that's not how this works. The revolution needs all kinds, right? Yes. And, you know, it, it's okay to be the person you are. You still like, don't use your individuality as an excuse to not do anything like not right. that, but you can't do everything. No one can do everything. Please don't push yourself to the point of burnout because then you're not useful to the revolution at all. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. You nailed it. Like it, it takes all kinds of people. And part part of what a lot of anti-racist authors will talk about, especially when it comes to like forming community, is that we are, all have a part to play. And we can't all, you know, be out there protesting in the streets or boycotting everything because we have jobs, especially for neurodivergent people, like our unemployment rate is so low. Even posting on social media is a risk. You could literally lose your job. And if you lose your job, you are not going to be able to be helpful towards whatever movement you're fighting for. It's not that you're putting yourself first selfishly. It's that you need to prioritize your own needs so that you can show up. Like Angela Davis talks about this a lot when it comes to self-care. Actually, the whole concept of self-care was invented during the civil rights movement. Um, with the Black Panther Party, because it was a way to replace the community care that we no longer get, because humans are a social um, social species. We're meant to live in community. We're meant to rely on others for support. But with industrialization and capitalism, we lost that support in favor of hyper-individualism. And so we now must take care of ourselves, make sure we are well-resourced enough so that we can not only make sure that our cup is full before we pour into others, but make sure it's that like overflowing. Because mm -hmm. activists, especially now, are so important. And if you are, if you're someone who cares about this stuff, you are so precious. You are so important. And making sure that you are well resourced enough to continue showing up, even if it's just one percent at a time, like, is so important. Because we're not going to be able to change this right away. We're not. And it's also, it's kind of funny to me when people get like uh, uh, all perfectionist about their activism because perfectionism is itself a tenet of white supremacy. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Which is yes, so, is. so ironic. And it's Trying so Trying to use the master's tools to tear down the master's house. Exactly. It's not going to happen. Audrey Lord, we love her. Yep, exactly. And the most important thing I think white people can understand about this is that when you start doing anti-racist work, when you start showing up as an activist, you are going to fuck up. You are going to make a mistake. You're going to be wrong. It's not about not being wrong. 
It's about being able to show up anyway, being perfectly brave and listening. If someone tells you like, hey, what you said was harmful, here's maybe what you consider doing instead. And like having that humility and it's not even humility, it's just humanity to recognize like, oh, oops, I made a mistake. Thank you so much for correcting me. And now I'm going to learn. And then you get to learn something new, which is always so important. Yeah, I actually had a really good experience about this that I actually probably should bring up on this podcast. Um, after so I made a podcast episode, um, you know, a beginner's guide to Palestine from a beginner, right? Like I made an episode a little bit about what was going on. And I had a community member reach out to me and sort of like, I don't know if you've heard of the difference between like calling someone out and calling someone in. Mm -hmm. So like a call out is kind of like, hey, you fucked up and how dare you? You know, like it's very judgy, I suppose. Whereas a call in is like, hey, you fucked up and let me help you with this or let me guide you to the resources that can help you. Or it's a little gentler, I think. And it invites someone to change rather than judging them, which tends to just harden someone's point of view, you know? Um, So someone kind of called me in on my Palestine episode saying like, hey, I hear what you're saying. I'm I'm not, I'm with you a hundred percent. What's going on in Palestine is a genocide. You know, Hamas was created for a reason, all this stuff, but something you may want to address is like, you're kind of comparing apples and oranges in a kind of unfair way. You're comparing the very horrific reality of what Israel is versus the ideals of Hamas, not necessarily the reality of Hamas, which is fair mm. and interesting. And so I I wanted to point that out. If you've listened to the Palestine episode and you were like confused or upset, understandable, because I hate when people do that, when they're like, they compare the reality of one thing to the ideals of another thing. It's like, those are not the same. Um, So (laughs) that's something to consider, something to bear in mind. Uh, It might bear doing a little more research on not just like, for instance, the Hamas charter, but how has Hamas stuck or not stuck to that charter? might have been something important to explore in that episode that I did not. Um, So there's that. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But something we were going to touch on is all of this uh, anti-racism work, activism work, generational trauma of whiteness and white violence, and the duality of doing this work while also like being, I don't want to say a regular person as if activism shouldn't be part of our regular lives. It is, but being a person outside of that activism, I suppose, or in addition to that activism, I don't, I'm not sure what the right preposition is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. And like, yeah, I know we were talking a little bit before our call that I am experiencing two ends of like the life spectrum right now, because on the one hand we have genocide, genocides, plural happening, which are awful. But on the other hand, for me personally, I have like a bunch of really, really exciting, happy making things going on. Like I got engaged to my fiance at the beginning of last month, which was super exciting. And we are, we actually put an offer on a house and we're going to be moving in there. We don't have a closing day yet, but we're going to be moving in very, very soon. And so I feel like I keep fluctuating between like extreme excitement about my personal life and like extreme anger and sadness about the world. And being able to find a balance and keep existing and showing up with these like super like contradictory experiences happening literally at the same time is so much. Yeah. (laughs) It's so much. It really is. It's a lot to hold, you know, with 
only two hands, you know? Um, yes. I guess I had a question for you about like whether or not you experience this and if you do, how do you deal with it? Um, sometimes I will get this thought in my head where it's like, if I truly cared and was appropriately involved in all of the terrible stuff going on in the world, my life would also be terrible. So the fact that my life is good, but there's bad stuff going on means that I am still doing that white dissociation thing. I don't know. Thoughts? (laughs) Oh, so many thoughts. (laughs) So this is an example of what Heather McGee actually talks about in The Sum of Us. She talks about something called the zero sum fallacy which is a major like underlying um oh my gosh words underlying like concept i guess behind white supremacy which okay, is basically yeah. that um everything is a pie and if you are happy that automatically means somebody else is miserable or if you get something like money it automatically means that you're taking something away from somebody else and in that book she really really breaks down how fake that is how there is literally enough resources to go around and it's part of the human experience to embrace all these different parts of our lives from grief to happiness to anger to whatever like there's there's no limit to humanness and like even even in, in palestine right now i saw a video this morning of somebody had a wedding during the ceasefire so if they can find that little bit of joy when they're literally living in all of our worst nightmare it's okay for you to also find the joy in your life there is enough to go around there is enough to go around i feel like that is the antithesis to white supremacy (laughs) like that's it (laughs) that's that's mic drop you know Uh, yeah, I actually just made a whole like TikTok or whatever about the pie thing because I I just hadn't applied it to this, I suppose, in my head. But that's my understanding of conservatism, like because I have a lot of very conservative family who I love. And and it's crazy. They're the most loving and supportive and gentle people only to the people that they know directly because it's pie. And if it's pie, they have to protect their own. Right. Like that's the mindset. That's, that's it, you know? So, mm, okay. No, that helps a lot because yeah, I just, I get into that black and white thinking where it's like, well, if I really cared, my life would be in shambles too, you know, like, which is very silly and, and performative, frankly, it's, it's all about being perceived. It's the, a lot of my references are going to be religious because that's, I grew up religious, but it's the Pharisees, right? Like wanting to look like they're fasting wanting to look like they're suffering but like deep down are they (laughs) right right exactly Mm -hmm. Mm. oh my goodness okay well I guess another question I have for you is like how how (laughs) um (laughs) are you like how are you celebrating your happiness and how are you grieving like what are some of the practical things you're doing Oh, what a fantastic question. (laughs) Let's see. So 
for for celebrating my fiance and I have just been because we're very much in like extreme waiting mode right now because we don't actually have like a closing date so it's just this nebulous like exciting thing that's going to happen eventually tm and so we just kind of keep turning to each other like randomly throughout the day being like we have a house and then the other person will be like yes and then like later on the other person will be like hey we have a house and we'll be like yeah and like we're watching like a bunch of like DIY shows and making a bunch of plans for like how we're going to decorate the rooms, um, doing as much planning as we can without like, I don't know, going too far over the deep end or whatever. And then uh, when it comes to the grieving, every time I open up my phone to scroll on social media, I am seeing Palestine. And so one, I have just kind of accepted that as like the current reality. Social media isn't really an escape currently. Uh, we don't really have that. But what I do is I'll just scroll and, you know, I'll, I'll look at the post. Now all the posts are Palestine and I'll keep scrolling until I realize that whenever I see a Palestine post, I'm not feeling it anymore. Like as soon as I feel that numbness start to set in, I'm like, okay, it's time to put down the phone and do something else. Maybe go for a walk or pet a, a cat, um, fold like a shirt or two, something like that just to give my brain a break because the last thing I want right now is to go back to that like numb zone. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I'm finding balance right now. I've also yeah. been like talking about it, like on our group calls in our combo platter. I, I've been opening almost every call with like, Hey, who else is exhausted with witnessing all of the violence and terribleness that's going on. And we kind of talk about it a little bit instead of just like ignoring it, which I think also helps. Mm -hmm. um yeah 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 I think that's super interesting because I think I take sort of the opposite tact uh when it comes to like the numbness and stuff um I open up my social media and the first thing I see is Palestine and my immediate reaction is scroll away don't look mm -hmm. like that's that's my gut reaction and I have to sort of force myself to be like no, we're not doing that shit anymore. Like we're not looking away from this. Absolutely fucking not. And so I kind of have to challenge the numbness at the beginning. And I sort of scroll until I hit the point where it's like, okay, this is not serving anyone anymore. I am getting mm. to a point of upsetness that is maybe not, it's just not serving anybody. Right. Like I I'm doing my job to witness as far as I possibly can. I am sharing, I am reposting, I am commentating, I am commenting, you know, whatever I can do. And now it's time to take a little break. Mm. Not because it's because everyone should have a break from this. And I understand that the yeah. people in Palestine don't, but that it's like you were saying, it's not pie, you know, just because someone is in one experience doesn't mean you have to replicate that as close as possible in order to like be a good person or whatever just like we talked about with the black lives matter movement when that was at its height in 2020 and everything the point is not you being a good person right that's not the point <laughs> and mm -hmm. that one is hard for me it's hard for me <laughs> uh yeah 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 yeah. so letting that go and instead focusing on being useful and sometimes if the focus is being useful that means taking a little break right yeah that's so interesting that we kind of approach it in like an opposite way and it's yeah. such a great example too of like how we are all different and it's so important to listen to your own body and make sure that you are doing like you are doing your activism or you are just doing your life in general in a way that makes sense for you 
mm-hmm. and like yeah. celebrating your own uniqueness uniqueness that way yeah yeah for sure uh being audio hd i think a lot of us uh something i was discussing with a client the other day actually is the idea that our scaffolding didn't build our personality, it built our mask. So there's this idea in like personality development that scaffolding, which is like, you know, the stuff that you put on the side of buildings as you do construction to keep everything in place. Scaffolding, like metaphorically, is stuff like, you know, family support, teacher support, um, seeing yourself reflected in media. Like there's all these scaffolding things that can help you develop into who you are. Now, some marginalized folks or historically oppressed folks um, don't have certain scaffolding, like aren't always represented in media, don't always have supportive teachers, et cetera. And then, you know, white folks too can lack scaffolding, especially ADHDers um, who like our scaffolding didn't build us into who we are. It built us into who we thought we were supposed to be. And it just built the mask, which is why I think so many of us go off to college or go off to trade school or live on our own. And all of a sudden we start falling apart and it's like, what the heck happened? Like that environment wasn't even good for me. It was super abusive. Why did I function better there? Well, because it, the scaffolding built a mask that supported you. And now the scaffolding fell away and you never built a personality. You just built a mask (laughs) and like, yeah. yeah. Wow. What a really, really great way to put it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we didn't get a scaffolding. We got a mask. That is, ooh, I'm going to be spinning that around in my brain for at least the next few days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, DM me yeah. if you want to talk about it. <laughs> Will do. For real. Yeah. If there are any folks who maybe zoned out a little bit while we were talking and they are zoning back in now, is there something in particular you want to make sure they walk away from this conversation like holding? I think the one thing that I would really want everyone to take note of is that it is okay to make a mistake. As long as you are literally trying to do good in the world, you're doing amazing. And you don't have to be perfect. In fact, you can't be perfect. It's impossible. White supremacy made that shit up. Yes. So go out there and make a mistake today. Yes. Go out and make a mistake. I love that. It's sort of like, um, that's the advice they give you when you're trying to get a book published is like, go out and get 50 rejections today. Yeah. You know, uh, same thing here. Like, this is how you grow. It's how we become better activists. I'm going to use that. I love that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people follow you, Jess? And uh, is there anything, like any ways that they can work with you right now? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok. I'm also on threads, but I haven't used it in a while. Uh, my handle is Jess Diverges, J-E-S. Um, and my current offer, I have something called the Combo Platter Community, which is made for ADHDers by an ADHDer, me. Uh, we have an online community where people can post and chat in between calls. And we also have biweekly coaching calls where people show up and I stay until literally everybody has had their questions answered or has had space held for them. Um, I think our longest call was like three hours long. Sometimes they're about an hour. Um but I really love doing it this way because I feel like the time limit can be so like it can put a lot of pressure on you. And especially regarding the topics that we talk about, it's a lot of trauma. It's a lot of ADHD unpacking. It's so much. And so I'm just really glad that I'm able to like hold all of that space for us. And all of our conversations are always so amazing and transformative. Um, so you can read more about the combo platter on my website, which is justdiverges.com. 
Yeah. And we will absolutely link that in the show notes too. So just go there to check it out if uh, you're interested in that, because holy crap, like that is for people listening who maybe aren't in the coaching space, who maybe haven't gotten coaching before or haven't, you know, experienced this, that is unheard of. People don't do this, (laughs) but Jess does this because you're absolutely right. It makes sense. It's a wonderful thing to do for your community. I just, I want people to recognize like, holy shit, you're offering something beautiful and they should I don't know, be a part of it, I think. So yeah. Hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time, for your compassion, for your wisdom. I so appreciate you. Right back at you, Megan. What a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye everybody. Talk to you next Saturday. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.